Et les amis, gardez bien les mains et les bras à l'intérieur du wagonnet et restez toujours assis. My friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 731. And together, as we have been for the past 18 years, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, including Disneyland Paris, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video every Wednesday night on Facebook events, blog, and more, please be sure to join the community over at www.radio.com slash clubhouse, subscribe to the podcast, and you can find everything else at www.radio.com. So I just returned from a few amazing days in Disneyland Paris, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. And so this week, we're going to look at why now is the perfect time to visit. In fact, we're going to share 30 reasons to visit Disneyland Paris. From unique attractions to magical shows, dining, decor, and the countless aspects of Disneyland Paris that not only make this place special, but an absolute must-visit. And to prove to you just how much I really want you to go, I'm going to share how you can win a very special, truly magical vacation to Disneyland Paris, including a four-day, three-night stay at the four-star Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel, four tickets for four people for four days valid in both of the Disney parks, food vouchers for breakfast, lunches, and dinners, and many more epic surprises. It's easy to enter for a chance to win the trip of a lifetime. Stay tuned. I'll show you exactly how, where, and when you can do that. Then also stay tuned for our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. It took me 30 years but I finally made it to Disneyland Paris, which is convenient since Disneyland Paris is celebrating its 30th anniversary. And I was able to visit for my very first time very, very briefly after, after our WW Radio Adventures by Disney to Italy with my wife and my son and Becky Mankin from MAI and Mouse Van Travel. And I was very recently able to spend a few days there with my daughter, and I can only describe my reaction and response. It's like, it's like seeing someone that you're attracted to for the very first time. You go wide-eyed and your heart flutters and you become enamored. But it's when you get to know them longer and spend more time with them that you truly fall in love 
And that is how I feel about Disneyland Paris. Why? How do I love the let me count the ways? In fact, that's exactly what we're going to do. Because Disneyland Paris is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, until September 30th, we are going to celebrate 30 reasons to visit Disneyland Paris for your first or next time. I cannot, I will not do this alone, so I want to welcome back Marion Rose Mongello. Hello. Uh, staying with ladies first, Becky Mankin from the aforementioned MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. I have three pages of notes, so I'm not sure wow. if 30 is enough for this. That tells you just how much I love this part. Wow, that may be in all the years I've known you. This may be the most researched. Look, she's showing the pages. The most <laughs> research Becky's ever done. And coming in with no less than four full bookfuls of notes is Jeremiah Good from LaughingPlace.com. Wait, we were supposed to have notes? Um, uh, <laughs> You've been there enough, Jeremiah, that I think you probably don't need notes. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to just be there a few weeks ago for the actual 31st anniversary. So it is very fresh in my mind, and I do love this park. Okay, so in that same order, Marion, Becky, and Jeremiah, I want you to very quickly tell me when your first visit was. Marion, we know yours. And I want you to give me just off the top of your head, a single one-word description of Disneyland Paris. Go. So I was obviously just there about a week ago, and I would say my one word would be castle. Becky? I'm trying to remember when the first, I think it was 2017 that I was there for the very first time. Um, my word, I'm just thinking about the overall park and I'm going to say charming. Jeremiah. Uh, mine was 2019 again for an anniversary and, uh, to go with the French Trey Magnifique. <laughs> was that your version of, was that your version of French? <laughs> yes. We, oui. I'm not going to even try. And I, gosh, when we have to get to the actual naming, the the, the names of these attractions, I'm going to try not to butcher these. Um, but this is actually, you know, I think this is a great time for us to talk about Disneyland for the first time because it is the 30th anniversary. There's a lot happening there in terms of new attractions, decorations, entertainment, food, costumes, merchandise, shows, a very special show that we'll talk about that happened for the first time ever inside a, a Disney park. And I thought the way that we would approach this would be sort of doing a, almost a virtual tour of the park. We're going to start with sort of a, a wide shot and then go through Disneyland Paris and the studios and the resorts. And then maybe at the end, talk about our one or, or top three favorites. And let's sort of look at the resort as a whole first. And just to give you a little bit of, of a primer and, and context, uh, Disneyland Paris is located in a suburb of Paris, about 40 or so minutes from the center of city by train, very, very close to the Charles de Gaulle airport. Um, there are a number of hotels, partner hotels, two parks, Disney Village, and the park itself is larger than Disneyland, but smaller than Walt Disney World. And part of the reason why 
I wanted to start talking about the location because I think one of the first things that is a reason to visit and I think makes Disneyland Paris a very easy place to visit is not just location, but transportation. So they say that getting there is half the fun. And I think in the case of Disneyland Paris, it's also super easy and super convenient, which is why I put transportation not inside the park, but to and from the park, um, because it, it's it's about 20 or so miles um, east of Paris. And I'm probably going to, this is my first mispronunciation. Is the name of the town called Chessy? Sure. Chessy? Okay. Um, and it's interesting, too. So nerdy little bit of, of going back in time for, for whatever it's worth. Do you remember before Disneyland Paris or Euro Disneyland was a thing, when they were looking to expand overseas, there was a choice that Michael Eisner was making, and it was between France and Spain. And he chose France, specifically this area, because it is so easily accessible from some of the major markets that they were targeting in Western Europe. And Spain really, really wanted this resort because they wanted to get attention and increase tourism. Um, they were, they were, there was the Seville Expo and Barcelona Olympics going on in, in 1992, the same year of Disneyland Paris opened. But location is such an important part. And Becky, when we came from the ABD and, and got to France, we stayed actually at the airport. We didn't stay in Disneyland Paris. And you're able to take a train directly from the train station at the airport to the parks. And when I say to the parks, I don't mean outside of Disneyland Paris. I mean, you literally come out right in the middle of Disneyland Paris. Um, it is incredibly accessible. It's very easy. Um, I actually, we didn't do this, but I found out you're actually able to pay a small fee and they'll, when you come out, they'll deliver your bags right to the resort. Um, so I love the fact that getting there, even if you are, even if you don't have a car is very, very simple. A lot of people don't realize just how easy that train is from Charles de Gaulle out there as well. And that's one of my favorite tricks. If you're in um, Europe and you do a stopover in Paris to do a connection to get home, spend the night at the airport like we did. And then you just go downstairs from the hotel that is in the airport. It is an eight minute train ride. And a lot of people don't realize just how quick that is just to get out there. If you spend, um, if you get there early in the morning, you just take the train, go out, spend the day in the parks, and then come back and catch your flight the next day. Yeah, to, to jump on that, I've been there three times. And each of the three times I've done a different mode of transportation. Um, the train is by far the easiest, a little bit more expensive. They do have a bus, kind of like the old Magic Express, but... It, the schedule for that, if you get there early, you're waiting a little while. And then this last trip, I did an Uber, which actually wasn't too expensive. Um, and all three were pretty easy. I preferred doing the Uber, actually, so I could actually look at what was around me. And it's it's very strange living in Florida, growing up in California, to see the difference between all three of the landscapes around the park and Disneyland Paris is the most isolated, but it's beautiful. Yeah. And we, when I was there with, with Marion uh, a week or so ago, we extended our trip for a couple of days and went into 
Paris. We didn't take a train. We actually did take a car service. And the time that we left, there was a lot of traffic. But Mary, it took probably about, what, about an hour to get to the city center of Paris. We were staying right near the Arc de Triomphe. Um, and so it was a pretty easy ride as well. Yeah, the, the the car that we took from Disneyland to like the center of Paris, not only was it, I mean, there was traffic, of course, because it's Paris, but it was a really beautiful uh, car ride. Dad wouldn't know because he was asleep. But the the way that we went, it was along the Seine. You could see everything. Um, and it was a really cool transition, I guess, from the more isolated and the different type of beauty that's in the park to the the architecture of Paris, I guess. You know, the other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of, of sort of the resort as a whole, and we're talking about the transportation and the ease of getting there and the ease of of getting around there too. I, I, one of the things I, I think is is a huge plus for this park too, we talked about sort of in context versus Disneyland and, and Walt Disney World. This is also a very, very easily walkable park in between the two parks and the village and the many resorts, right? There's seven different resorts, and we'll talk more about those later. But especially, you know, Disneyland Hotel is at and in the center of the park. The Disney Hotel New York, the Art of Marvel, the Newport Bay Club, the Sequoia Lodge are just a few-minute walk from the entrance to the park, Disney Village, and uh, Walt Disney Studios Park, too. And I love that, right? You don't have to worry about buses, monorails, boats, Ubers, taxis, other modes of transportation. It's it's a very, very easily walkable park too. And I love that that quaint size of it. It, it is very, very it's a very self-contained park. It's really well designed just for that. So out of the seven uh resorts that are there, typically it's about a 10-minute walk if you're at the New York Hotel. 15 minutes for a couple of the others. 20 minute walk is the farthest of the Disney resorts that are um, that are there, except for obviously the well, actually, the ranch is kind of within 50, is farther out, but they all have shuttles, too. So if you can't manage that walk uh, that's between 10 and 15 minutes uh, or 20 in the case of Cheyenne or Santa Fe, um, it's about an eight minute shuttle. So there's that option if you're you know not really wanting to walk or your feet really hurt at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's very much for everybody who's been to Walt Disney World and thinks of taking the shuttle from the hotels and how long that can take. I was surprised. I stayed at uh, the Sequoia the first time I went and that bus it just crosses the street. You, you don't realize how close you are, but at the same time, you don't feel like you are right across the street from the parks. It is very separate and very nice. But I I did stay at Newport and walked and it was beautiful, especially in the morning in France. It was just, you know, you think of a little chill in the weather and you'd get over there and then you'd have a great day in the park. Well, and that I think that's actually a great segue to what was first on my list when we start talking about the park itself, because that walk into Disneyland Paris, even before you get through the entrance gate, you use the word and it, it's the first thing on on this sort of next part of my list. One of the reasons to visit Disneyland Paris for me is she is beautiful. It is an absolutely spectacular park. And what made me think of that is even as you approach 
that main entrance gate. Marion, we were talking as we came in and out of the park, how beautiful that sort of park-like area is, that main sort of entranceway that is um, has these meandering paths and, and flowers and trees and fountains as you approach the Disneyland Hotel. But the park itself, specifically Disneyland Paris, is, Becky, I think you used the word, it's charming, it's elegant, it's romantic, it is colorful. The landscaping is spectacular and i think each land's aesthetic and theming is bold and it's colorful and the placemaking of this park is is spectacular and i think the park is meant to be taken sort of slow and savored like a fine croissant on a parisian sidewalk like it sparks exploration. It sparks discovery. And even that sort of main entranceway under the hotel, uh, Phantom Manor and Frontierland and Discoveryland and the arcades, I think the beauty of the park itself without even stepping into a building or onto attraction is a reason in and of itself to visit. I completely agree that I had that as one of my um, top things on my list was the park-like setting and feel that allowed you to relax. I don't know, the the greenery and the flowers, and it really does feel like it's not a theme park. It feels like a park. It feels um, just that type of thing on a Sunday where you go and stroll through the gardens and go on a on a ride or two or five. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think it's one of the most beautiful parks um, of of the Disney, you know, theme parks. I think that the garden outside is particularly special because unlike at least Disney World, which is the most familiar to me, there's no sort of like I'm going to use the word like unpaid, like public, I guess, sort of park setting in Walt Disney World unless you're staying at a resort or you go into a park. But I think the most unique thing about that garden outside of Disneyland Paris is I could see myself going there to study or do work on a bench in the shade in a gazebo. Like there's really nothing like that very chill and beautiful park setting anywhere else. And I think that's super unique and super cool. And not only that, it's incredibly convenient. I could definitely see myself leaving that park and, you know, chilling outside and then, you know, taking the walk over to the other park or back to the resort or whatever. Yeah, you really hit it on the head. There is a gazebo just outside the gardens heading into the Disneyland Paris Hotel that every time I walk by, I just want to sit there for an hour and enjoy and look out into the gardens. Um, and this... This is something I, I'll try not to harp on this too much. I, I'm sure Becky also has the memory of a little before you guys just visited and saw what they're transforming that area into. Um, a few years ago, it wasn't so so much the security was built around and it was a little bit more free flowing and very much more relaxed, but it was also a little dilapidated when Disney took control of it a few years ago, they've gone in and made it so beautiful. I can remember my first visit, the water was only green. And now, you know, that fountain in front of the hotel, you can just stand there and look at the lights and you get lost for a few hours. 
Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And it, it really helps not only set the stage, but I think the tone um, for what to expect. You know, it's almost like a coming attraction of what to expect once you get through the gate because that that landscape, that architecture, although it's different themes throughout and, and the plants and the flowers and trees are all very different, very appropriate to where you are, it does set the sense, that the stage for this very... Um, there's this sensory overload of of just um, of 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 like I said, time and and, and placemaking. To that point, the next thing on my list, and it almost could have been the first thing on my list. And again, I'm going to try and and do my very very best. Le Chateau de la, de la Belle à Bois Dormant, which I think means Sleeping Beauty Castle. Is don't laugh at me. I'm trying my best. <laughs> I apologize to everyone who is French or in France. <clears throat> um, Sleeping Beauty. Apologize to a whole country. <laughs> just <laughs> or the planet for that man. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, this castle may be, and we can sort of have this conversation. And and Walt Disney World is my home park, and Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland is is special. But this castle may be the most beautiful. Um, it is elaborate and delicate. I love how it extends along the right side and this mix of Gothic with French inspiration. And they, you know, when they were designing it, they talked about how it was inspired by France's own uh, Mont Saint-Michel monastery and Germany's Neuschwanstein. And the fact that these castles exist in this area really challenged them to think very carefully about the design. And that's what, what Tony Baxter had talked about. But it's beautiful from a distance and it's remarkable up close. As you start to look at, you know, the 16 turrets, there's 16 turrets because Aurora was 16 when she had her finger pricked by the spinning wheel. Each turn is at a different height. Each turret is unique. Uh, each turret has its own unique weather vane. There's snails climbing up some of the tur turrets. We'll get inside in a second. But even, Mary, we spent a lot of time walking around <clears throat> and through the castle. And I, I noticed, like, the trees were, were pruned into these cubes because that's the way they looked in the Sleeping Beauty film. The um, At night, those turrets are lit um, inside, we'll talk about the the attractor or attraction that is in there, but there's an upper level inside that you can walk through that has a gallery dedicated to the story of Sleeping Beauty with tapestries and a spinning wheel and books and stained glass, which is just absolutely incredible. And we could sort of go on and on, but but I think that this this arguably may be one of the most um, beautiful, if not the most beautiful, of all the castles in a Disney park. I, I don't think the word arguably is needed. It is the most beautiful. Uh, I I love this castle. Um, also, is your new sponsor turrets.com? Because you said <laughs> turrets like 15 times right there, Liz. Well, because uh, I can't believe that. I, I, the more that I look, Jeremiah, at, at the pictures, because sometimes you're so we're so caught up in the 30,000 foot view that we, we miss some of the details. And the more I got into the details, I was, I was amazed at that, the thoughtfulness that went into the design. 
Oh, no, I I can definitely say that, you know, my first trip to Walt Disney World, I took pictures of Cinderella Castle. It was beautiful. My first trip to Disneyland Paris, I spent my first day just looking at the castle. It wasn't until my second day that I even have a first picture because it is so awe-inspiring. Um, you know, you were talking about the details. I, as I said, I've been there three times now. I've spent multiple days this last trip, I actually found that there's a hidden passageway in one of the shops downstairs into something that we haven't talked about, and I'll wait till you bring that up. Uh, but yeah, the detail is amazing, and the thoughtfulness that, you know, Walt Disney World has a giant stage in front of the castle. It distracts from the castle at times. Disneyland Paris, they built the stage on the right-hand side, so you get the full view of this work of art and Tony Baxter, you know, no matter what the best thing he ever did was that castle. He, he put forth to the Imagineers to create a perfect castle and there is no better castle than the Disney Pantheon. You just nailed that one by saying work of art, because when you walk up to it, um, the castle itself is is stunning, but the surrounding as well with that that sloping green greenery that comes down the side and the trees perfectly manicured around it. It has just this feel that it, there's nothing else around you for a moment, the way it's set up. You, you're not seeing park, you know, or attractions behind it or to the sides of it. You're just standing in front of this beautiful castle surrounded by meadow. And it, it does um, have that feel of just being a gorgeous piece of artwork. I feel very passionately about this castle. This is my by far my favorite part of the Disneyland Paris trip was the castle. Um, and each day we were there, we went up into the castle two separate times each day. Um, and of course, explored the surrounding area. But I think something that really stands out to me about it is unlike the Walt Disney World one, which of course I still love, this castle tells a story based on multiple, you know, parts of it. Inside, the stained glass windows obviously tell the story of Sleeping Beauty with the tapestries, with the spinning wheel, um, and of course with the stained glass and the balcony that you can actually stand on on the back. The rose gardens and the turrets around, sorry, turrets, have engravings of the animals or of the trees but depending on where you are in the castle the what is on the pillars and the the turrets changes if you're closer to the magical entrance that i guess we're talking about later there's sort of maleficence symbols like the crow and the dragon but if you're over on like the rose garden uh, stage side, there's the owls and the birds and the squirrels that you see in Aurora's imagery. Um, and I think one of the coolest parts that we've forgotten to mention is this castle, they shoot fireworks off of multiple levels of it. I'm sure we'll get into the fireworks show later, but that's something that completely caught me off guard. That is such a, such a cool detail. Um, and it, like in conclusion, there's just a lot of layers and levels to it that you're not really able to explore um, in some of the other ones. Obviously, there's the what I'll call the basement level. I didn't get to see that in It's Pure Magic, which we'll dive into. I'm very, oh, I'm so upset about that. Anyway, um, but 
just physically you're able to explore these levels, but in the story, in the storytelling that it gives you, you're also able to explore the layers of Aurora's story and it sort of carries you through the park. Um, and about the stage. I also feel very passionately about this as somebody that's going into uh, like stage technology and stage management. I think that the the, the way that they engineered this is literally perfect. Um, any view that you have of this castle is magnificent. And the way that the stage is framed on that right-hand side, where it sort of bleeds into the discovery land aesthetic, but works so perfectly together with fantasy land. Um, and it just creates a gorgeous picture. I'm really, I really wish that we could have seen a stage show on there. Um, cause that would have been just so cool. Um, but I'm sure that they can incorporate the water in there as well, which is another part of the castle. There's like, unlike the ones that we've seen, there's like a, um, I guess there's a moat around ours too, but this moat seemed special um, because of the way that it was designed. Um, it was just really beautiful. And so I, Lou, I have to throw in one more thing about the walkthrough that is by far the best small touch. Um, as you go through the castle, it does tell the story of Sleeping Beauty from her birth to her birth party without Maleficent being invited to the spinning wheel. But when you get over to the part where the three fairies put everybody to sleep, they have two knights. And if you go up close enough, you can actually hear them snoring. And that is the touch that is not needed but is that one, like, every time I go there, I forget about it, and I walk up, and I just hear the snoring, and I just lose myself. The details are just amazing. Yeah, and I think that the castle, depending on where you look at it from, takes on a, a, a different shape and a different story. Like, looking at it head-on from Main Street has a very different look than if you look at it from the, the castle keep inside of Fantasyland versus the Discovery Land side. And these rolling sort of vernant hills on the side with the waterfalls and the water features, it, it is nothing short of, of spectacular. And, and she's very photogenic, um, you know, depending on when and where you look at it from. Um, it, you know, same thing too, like all the other castles, like it's deliberately situated so it faces south, right? So it's not backlit when you're trying to sort of capture photos from the front so so everything is is incredibly intentional let's go from the the outside and sort of the the second story of the castle to below the castle and marion i know this is very hard for you the one thing my daughter wanted to see when she went was the dragon La Teniere du Dragon uh in this dark dungeon where this monstrous prisoner lurks um, chained against these jagged rocks, sometimes dozing, sometimes awake. Um, when it was first built in 1982, it was the largest animatronic of its kind in the world. It was spearheaded by Imagineer Terry Harden, who had been working with Disney since the 80s. And to try and give context to the relative size, she's 27 meters, about 89 feet in length, weighing about 2,500 kilograms. But not only is she, she huge, but she moves, she breathes. The Again, the details 
the eyes, the wings, the expanding, um, you know, as she as she breathes, the scales, the smell, right? There's sort of this dungeony sort of damp, dark smell in there, the growling and the rumbling. It is, it is an experience. I think the dragon is, if it's not already, it, it is considered an attraction in and of itself because it is that spectacular. And again, you can enter from the front, from the side, you can enter or exit through the gift shop and each of these entryways and, and exit passages give you different views of this beast that appears to be living and breathing. It was phenomenal to me. I, when I first saw the dragon, I, I did like we normally do. I, I didn't do any research. And by the way, I was wrong. My first trip was in 2013. I wasn't <laughs> awake. Um, but when I had no idea the dragon was in there and you just kind of meander down that path and walk in. I think I was in there for an hour and a half watching all of the movement and, and listening to all the sounds down to you remember how her tail kind of wraps around the rocks mm -hmm. and it's barely visible. So they didn't have to go to all of that time and expense to make sure that that tail twitches the way it does randomly, but it does. So to me, that just told me that was somebody's baby. That was someone's work of art that they made sure that it was as realistic as it possibly could be. And when we returned, I was looking just to see if that tail still twitched the way it did. Because over the years, we all know animatronics sometimes have an issue or two. But no, everything was just as perfect as it was the first time I saw it. I, I think that that is probably one of the number one reasons to visit Disneyland Paris is to see that majestic creature. And it was originally supposed to be a static figure. But Terry was like, no, I, I can make this a continuous oh. motion audio animatronic, which which made it the largest one. And then there was, a, a you know, a, a discussion, a decision like how you know, do we have to there was a talk about having a skeleton of Maleficent down there. Right. Sort of paying homage Ooh. to the Maleficent dragon form that they eventually abandoned because they were trying to figure out, like, how do we sort of incorporate Maleficent in here? But Maleficent's not there anymore so they created a, a backstory about how this dragon was found in an egg by merlin and and put under his magic shop for for safekeeping so i love that there's a connective story to it but but how she had the foresight and the confidence to be able to say no i i can make this thing i can bring this thing to life marion it, it's not worth it. It's really not that cool. <laughs> There's no reason to be upset you didn't see it. Uh, wait, wait, very quickly, Marion. So the, it was the first thing we were going. Wow. We made a beeline there when the, the lower entrance was closed. I said, oh, let's go up. I'm sure we can maybe get in through the gift shop. Marion like, runs away from you. I, has can't, a can't, <laughs> I can't even describe to you how shattering this was so we wa we walked to the first entrance we're like hmm, blocked off we'll just go to the other one like i maybe there's i don't know something <laughs> went around to the other one and we walked and we're like hmm this one's close too it's probably just like a day thing and we walk out of the store and he's like we'll come back tomorrow i said no we're finding out if it's a day thing right now right this second we walk back in and i walk up to this little guy and i'm like hi uh when will the dragon be open and he goes july i said like july july like next month <laughs> and he's like yes oh. and i said 
okay, thank you. And then <laughs> no, I no, Maria's like, does July mean tomorrow in French? Like, <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, that was okay. That was the only thing I wanted to see. I said that's the first thing I want to do. Went boom there. I was like, what's the next thing I want to do the next day or not the next day, a few hours later, I wanted to go to the Alice walkthrough. We walk up to the Alice walkthrough and it's closed. I said, hmm, hey, when are you guys open again? He goes, July. I said, July. Does July mean tomorrow? And then we went back the next day. And July did mean tomorrow for the Alice walkthrough. I don't know what that man was thinking that he said July, but I'm happy that it meant the next day. So Lou did not have it for the dragon though. I, I know that you're not very experienced on planning vacations <laughs> or know anybody that can check. I know on where you're things, going. But you do know that on the app it talks about closed attractions, right? Listen, man. <laughs> okay. The, <laughs> the dragon. Um, yes, the dragon is by far one of the most amazing things. I I myself have spent many an hour down there. Uh like I was referencing, I've gone into the magic shop or the whatever the shop is now, uh, inside the castle, completely missed the entire backstory that leads down into the upper level until this last trip. And I was just, I stood up there for 20 minutes watching the dragon go through her cycle. I mean, to to break the fourth wall, yes, it is an animatronic. Yes, it has like a three-minute cycle of when it wakes up, it roars, it moves its head, and it wings and tail. But, you know, that isn't like, there is nothing else in any Disney park that I've just sat there and watched so attently and so so passionately to just enjoy just basic movements of a, something that, you know, it, it's like seeing the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park. We will never see those in person. We only know what they are because of the movies and the theme parks. This dragon is as close to real life as you can ever get. And apparently we're going to need to go back to Paris. I was going to say, clearly <laughs> we need guys. to... We need- I'll go in July. Clearly we need to go back in July. Well, now that we know how easy and accessible it is to get there, we can shoot over very quickly. So, uh, all right, let's, let's move on to, I think this is number six, number seven. That's sort of, uh, we can't count. Jumped, we're, we I know. know um, the next thing, and, and this is not in sort of any type of, of, of order of walking through the park, but in order of things that for me were, reasons to go and visit and i have two words for you my friend they are phantom manor phantom manor is the disneyland paris version of the haunted mansion but it is a very different to a certain degree mansion than you're used to in walt disney world in disneyland i want to be careful this is a very 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 deep rabbit hole that we can go into and i think it almost may deserve its own show at some point because the story of the mansion is very different the story of how it came to be is different but it's it's not a haunted mansion it's a phantom manor one to help sort of translate from for a non-english speaking audience but this is a manner that not only looks different from the outside but has a much darker theme and much darker story and there's some inspiration from phantom of the opera but it's also one that was modified and expanded 
to tie it into Frontierland, right? There's no Liberty Square here. There's no New Orleans Square here. This exists in Frontierland. Again, Tony Baxter, brilliant Imagineer, um, had to take this attraction and modify it for the tastes and preferences of a French and European audience, the Haunted Mansion being uh, among those and tying it into this Frontierland story and, and a a manner that would be congruent with Thunder Mesa, the fictional town and, and everything that would happen around that. But the story is expanded. There's expanded scenes inside. I don't even know where to start from the gazebo outside with the music box to Vincent Price, who, whose original recordings uh, as the ghost host weren't used when the park opened, but in 2019, his narration re- returned with, with a French accompaniment. Like you walk in through, it, it's the only mansion, I think. Yeah, it's the only mansion where you sort of walk through the front door. Um, but it has this wonderfully dark and disturbing backstory of Henry Ravenswood, the owner of the manor, and his daughter, Melanie, who you know attracted the attention of, of four different suitors who each came to a very mysterious and untimely end. But suffice it to say that this mansion is not just dark. It does not just have this additional um, scene of the, the the Western scene of the end. But this man- mansion, like many other things we'll talk about, is downright kind of scary. Yeah, I... So my backstory with the mansion... Uh, this was the one thing that I wanted to see all my history with Disneyland Paris. Um, and when I went in 2019, of course, it had been closed, but we were there for a special announcement, a special event, where thankfully the Imagineers took the time to walk us through step by step everything that this ride was going to be a week later for the soft opening. So I didn't get to experience at my first visit. I did, again, walk around the entire man or manor, take lots of photos. Uh, when I did go back, I was blown away. You know, I think, Becky, you, myself, and Lou, we've seen the travel videos. We, we remember the old days of the Disney Channel where they'd go and show us things. So there were always photos and videos of things that, to me, I knew back then was Phantom Manor, but now that we're so far removed, my mind was almost completely empty of what was happening. And when you go down into the grave and you see the skeletons playing the skeleton head, you see the mayor lifting his head that sure does sound familiar and more so look familiar on the head, uh, saying, welcome, foolish mortals. It You just never expect anything like that in a Disney park. You know, everybody's like alien encounter was so intense. No, this is, this is up there as far as the, Hey, you want to get freaked out? You want your kids to have nightmares? Yeah. Come and do Phantom Manor. But it is another, like, I will say this just about everything in Disneyland Paris. It's a work of art. It is dark and twisty and cool. <laughs> I love Phantom Manor. And to me, this is the 
the best of the best of the best of the haunted mansions ac- across the globe. Um, the storytelling is rich. It is um, visually stunning and creepy. And you want to ride it over and over again, because this is one of those attractions that you will never see all of the detail, at, even after you've ridden it 50 times. I think uh, the first time I was there, we rode it about three times and I learned or saw something new every single corner. And some of it is familiar, yet it's unfamiliar. And I remember seeing it for the first time and looking at it and going, huh, tumbleweeds? <laughs> you know, It just didn't match to anything that I understood the haunted mansion to be until you get in there and really kind of soak in the story and the the dark and twistiness. I love this attraction and is one of the highlights of the entire Disneyland Paris park. I would say I would describe this ride as like the cool, edgy, older cousin of the Haunted Mansion that like the Haunted Mansion is like, oh, one day I'll be as scary and cool as the Phantom Manor. Like it's it has that kind of it, it, it wants to cross that line of like kind of like horror, like scary. I mean, in order to really understand the depth of the story, you have to do a little bit of research, I think. So I did that after like our second ride. Um, and that made me appreciate some of the details so much more because it really is an interesting story. Um, and there are some moments that I got freaked out. I got creepy. The the animatronics lunges at you, like wants to like grab you out of the little buggy. I got scared. Um, but there are like plenty of really cool details and interesting uh, changes in the scenes, obviously, because it's a completely different story than what I'm used to. Um, but it still maintains the same structure, I guess, like story structure of the rooms that you visit. Um, so it's a cool way. I it's a it's a twist on what we already know um just to make it more interesting more fun for the people i guess that have been to the other mansions i liked it yeah i mean even from you know when you approach this mansion you're going to see it looks very very different than what you see than these very sort of royal regal um estate type homes which actually was a, a cause of controversy imagine your legend imagine your mark davis very much disliked and did not approved of the sort of derelict aesthetic of the building saying Walt would never approve of this, right? It's why the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland did not look like an old, rundown, abandoned home, but something that was currently inhabited. Here, they felt that the they 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 would be conf- the, the French and European audience would almost be confused if it had this sort of you know, completely updated appearance like like the American mansions did. Um, even the music is 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 very haunting. Um, there's a there's an, an orchestration by John Debney that that takes grim grinning ghosts and makes it much darker and more romantic, and then gets a little bit more upbeat in that final Phantom Canyon scene. Um, but it is. It's a beautiful, wonderful, detail-oriented attraction, but you're right. It It is, you know, the word to sort of use is is scary, um, not in a way that's, you know, it, it's incredibly frightening, but uh, you know what? I actually had it's, scary, go ahead. I had scary on my list. I actually had scary on my list as a reason to visit 
Disneyland Paris. And I'm going to sort of, I'll connect the dots here because when I say scary, I don't mean in a, in a you should be scared off kind of way, but there are sort of aspects of this park that are mature. And what I mean by that is, is there is a horror element to Phantom Manor, right? It is this classic ghost story that is just dark enough and daring, I think really daring enough to really be appreciated by older guests. And I think that there's other attractions in Disneyland Paris that have that too, and maybe ones that you would not necessarily expect. And I don't mean this as a way to scare off, but Marion, even when we rode things like Snow White Scary Adventures, right? It's still scary here, right? It's, it used to be Snow White Adventures in, in Walt Disney World because they took the word scary out. This um, this ride has scary elements to it. Pinocchio's Daring Journey is very, like, you get into Pinocchio's Daring Journey, you get into the scary parts of that movie. Like, you go right into... They skip. <laughs> they skip the whole beginning. The whole becoming they a boy, right. the donkey land. <laughs> it is... I, I was like, where is the blue fairy? And then at the end, she's there. But they want they want the children to have a little bit of a nightmare. And then, they, <laughs> then, they'll, then they'll come back for more. But I was, I was creeped out by that one. And by the Snow White one, that was like a another like just creepier version. Um, I felt like there was one more. Maybe I'm forgetting something. Well, I mean, I think those two are are important to mention because they exist in Fantasyland, right? And the thing that was was somewhat unsettling about Pinocchio was it does skip sort of the warm and and heartfelt fuzzy like the old man who just wants to have and he makes his little boy. You go right into the 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 donkeys and the cage and the whale and it's 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 macabre right there's, yeah, there's very macabre elements yeah that that's a great word and I, the thing i was interjecting before is it's not quite as scary as say hong kong at halloween that's <laughs> right. yeah, a whole separate <laughs> But it does take across the park when it comes to these things, it does take a little bit more of a macabre approach um, to the storytelling than we see in the U.S. And I I frankly appreciate that and adore it. But I will be quite honest with you. The moment that it got into the donkeys and the cages when we first went in, I'm like, oh, I'm out. If I could (laughs) if I could have gotten out, I would have. That's not a way to start a story for me. But uh, but yeah, it's macabre is a great word. So one of the things about Snow White and Pinocchio, they are actually direct lifts from the 83 Fantasyland in Disneyland because Tony didn't want, he always felt that those, because that was one of his first major projects was the 83 Fantasyland. And they are perfect storytelling and really perfect dark rides. I mean, a dark ride was always meant to be a little bit scary and a little, you know, it's kind of like the makes you jump and makes you hold the person you're next to. So they do a great job with that. But I agree the especially Frontierland is so the entire story that travels through it that is Big Thunder is the is the horseshoes is all the shops. They do a great job of placemaking. And this was done well before Star Wars Galaxy's Edge or Avatar this is an entire land 
that if you pay attention to the story and you notice, like, I, I, I can almost guarantee that you didn't go up into the stockade, Lou, and explore that because they don't have a Tom Sawyer Island. The entrance of Frontierland is a whole exploration <laughs> area, and they have the bits and pieces of the story that set up the grander story of Frontierland that is really the payoff of Phantom Manor. And, you know, one of the things about the scariness is it's I I've always felt that outside of America, the storytelling, they always try to focus more on a broader range of, hey, we're not just going to scare our kids with Freddie or Jason. We're going to tell the story that intrigues them. And I think that's what Phantom Manor does the most is it intrigues people to learn the story and go deeper into it. Yeah, and even, um, you know, admire we didn't get a chance to to ride it, but even Twilight Zone Tower of Tower, Tower of Terror um, was reimagined to become a new dimension of chills with new drop sequences and effects and storylines that expanded on the original one. I get, I know. I didn't know that <laughs> when you said... We, it's like, oh, we're, we're tired. I, don't oh, know. I was like, oh, if it's really no. good, we should go. You didn't tell it's me so there was new things. It's I was amazing like, how maybe this we is should my go on it because it's probably different. Wow. It is, wow. it is oh. your fault. You should, oh. You're the Disney guy, huh? The Disney guy should know. Tell me right. things on it. So I'm going to jump into this because I've done this. and <laughs> Dad, I want to go the, shopping. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. The Tower of Terror <laughs> at Walt Disney Studios Park is was built exactly as the one at Disney California Adventure was. Uh, it is the lesser version of the amazing, probably one of the best Disney attractions in the world, Tower of Terror at Disney's Hollywood Studios. But what they did, because it was the lesser attraction, they took each of the three shafts and made a different story that revolves around the little girl. And the little girl is warning you not to go on the ride and there's in true twilight zone fashion something that is causing problems with the elevator that you don't know and the first time i wrote it i i'd heard oh there's a change to it yeah sure it's whatever and i unlike lou made time to make sure i could do it at least once even waiting an hour for it and I wanted to get right back on and do it again. Um, this past time, I did it three times. Sadly, each of the three times, I got the exact same drop shaft, so I had the same. But having the girl appear, and she's like, don't go in there, I warned you. And then there are sounds and the drop sequences, and it's not just the basic, oh, look, here's the mirror, and then everybody disappears. She appears, gives you this creepy message. Uh, you know, it takes, if they hadn't changed Tower in Disney California Adventure to Guardians and they did this update, people would have lost their minds that they were closing this attraction. Well, now, Marion. That sounds really awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> that just sounds so fun. Don't be ungrateful. Maybe when we go back, love this maybe when we go back next year, you can, we have something to look no, forward to. No, we're definitely to. going on it next year. I have an idea wow. about that. We'll talk about that later. All right, let, let's move on because we, we have a lot of things that we, we, we have to cover. Uh, one of the other things that I really, that I loved about Disneyland Paris were 
the Main Street USA shopping arcades. And I appreciated them even more once we went to Paris proper because when you see some of these shopping arcades located throughout the, the, the city, you understand the, uh, the inspiration for these um, 19th century sort of glass ceiling passageways that, that, and these Parisian arcades that house shop. And these are located on either side of Main Street. They're beautiful to walk through. They house little shops and, and you know, separate entrances to the Main Street shops. But each one tells a different story, right? There's the Liberty Arcade, A Walk to Liberty, which has these beautiful gas lanterns and and tells the story of the Statue of Liberty with photos and illustrations and, and artwork and, and some great shots of uh, the construction. Some of the, the wrought iron work in there is beautiful. And then the other one is the Discovery Arcade, Walk Through Yesterday's Visions of Tomorrow. And it's an, an homage to, and it sort of connects, I think, directly to Discoveryland, some of the imaginative ideas and inventions and, and thoughts of what the future would be um, from different patents to this visions of what this future utopian world would see, would would look like with display cases and, and posters. And again, that, that wooden and green ironwork in there is spectacular. But I, I love having not just these covered sort of walkways or passageways or, or throughways, but that each one tells a story and is so deliberately and intentionally designed to each tell a different story as well. So, Lou, you talked with such passion about this. Did you happen to walk behind the wall to see <laughs> the little display? That I did. I did. I spent too much time <laughs> sitting there just immersed in these French immigrants coming to America, looking up at the Statue of Liberty on the 4th of July or whatever it is. With so explain fireworks. what it is, because it, yeah. even Becky's I, like, I've I never, never seen, seen it. <laughs> Becky. It also um, could have, this also, Jeremiah, could fall into the, into the scary conversation too. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I took my friend in there and he felt the same way. So as you're walking down, they're telling the story of the Statue of Liberty. And there's this little, think of like, the Main Street Cinema in Disneyland, how there are curtains and then there's the ticket taker and you have to walk around to go in. As you come around either side, there is just a little diorama with four or five mannequins, and, but they're all dressed and very low. They are playing French conversation with the firework sounds. And in the distance is the Statue of Liberty and you see the clouds kind of floating past and the fireworks are going off above Lady Liberty. And it is, there is no reason for it in the world. Um, they were actually going to, they announced just before COVID that they were going to remove that and place the barber shop in that area. Thankfully, they have not done that. I don't know if that plan is still going forward, but it is just a little, you know, little hidden gem of the park. And I I spent my first visit probably a half hour in there just trying to video it for no other reason than I wanted it on YouTube so I could always reference it. And it is just just a thing. Like, there's no reason for it to be there, but it is amazing. You spent 30 minutes. We spent less than 30 seconds. Mary walked in. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's what my friend did also. He's like, what is this? It's like, incredibly, I mean, dark almost to the point that it's very difficult to see the mm-hmm. figures that are in there. Um, we had no context because we didn't, it was all in in French. Uh, as opposed to a lot of, just very quickly, as opposed to a lot of the other attractions where you might hear a conversation between two people. One side is in French, one side is in English, which helps no matter what language you speak, be able to understand the, the context and conversation. But yeah, it, it's very, very hidden. And, and Becky, that's why it it's very easy to walk right by it, but you should... Mm-hmm you know, at least peek in to see. Okay. We'll add it to the list. <laughs> if um, it's still there. Moving yeah. on to next on my list, we talked about the design, the aesthetic, the, the beauty of this park and, and landscaping and, and the, the gardens and the topiaries, but the lands themselves are spectacular. And a reason to visit Disneyland Paris is Adventureland. The layout the attractions, the theming, the shopping, the dining. You literally travel to the four corners of the globe because this Adventureland is is different than ones you'll see certainly like Caribbean Plaza in Walt Disney World because there are other influences and the really sort of is broken down into different themed areas. There's the Adventureland Bazaar, which is a recreation of like a city from 1001 Arabian Nights. You can sort of very much connect it easily, and they do, to Agrabah from Aladdin. The second area has uh, more African influence and has a lot of shops and restaurants like the Hakuna. There's a restaurant called the Hakuna Matata Restaurant. The third represents the mysterious jungles of Asia and exploration. It features the Indiana Jones and the Temple of of Peril, which was unique in a Disney park when it opened in in 93. And then last and and the largest part is this Caribbean area, which really covers most of the surface area of Adventureland and features, you know, not just Pirates of the Caribbean, but Adventure Isle and, you know, the Captain Hook pirate ship. I think Adventureland is, is, is a visually stunning I talked about an area that is meant to be explored. That is exactly what this land was was designed for. Yeah, there is so much to explore in this land. Um, I've talked to people that didn't even know of the Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Peril attraction because it is so far back. I mean, it was something that was added because they needed something more. Um, and for those of you who don't know, in 1993, the Disney, the Euro Disney Park, was considered a failure by Disney, and they needed to try to draw people in. So what they did was essentially go to—I don't remember which crater it was—and um, bought an off-the-shelf roller coaster and put in a very weak theme, if any theme at all, for the the Indiana Jones. And it's a small four-person car has a very tight loop. Um, but it's a fun coaster. And for a long time, they actually ran it backwards because it's one of those coasters. But sadly, it's now just one way, not both. But I found myself getting lost in the caves this time because I actually spent time to explore them. And you think of Tom Sawyer Island, since they don't have, Tom Sawyer is a very American literature piece. This is 
pirates, haunted man or pirates, Peter Pan, um, Swiss Family Robinson. It is all combined into this area, and the cave work. If that was even a thought of being built today, it couldn't happen. There are so many layers and levels to this, and it. You know, there are times where you're climbing 30 steps to get up to the top to cross a rope bridge and you get up there and you have the most amazing view, but there's nobody around because nobody else will climb those steps to go up to the rope bridge. Yeah, we had a we also kind of just stumbled upon it. And there's really only like there's a little signage saying like uh Davy Jones Locker is this way and Skull Rock is that way. Um and it was kind of an interesting it was very it felt very whimsical and you felt a sense of wonder i guess as you were trying to it was like a scavenger hunt in a way trying to make sure you went down every path because everything you know it's almost like a maze you know you can loop on it and you can take a you know do i go right or left and then it brings you back to the same place um so it was very cool especially as like a first timer experiencing that because i imagine going multiple times i'm sure you can get familiar with it but it was really fun kind of getting to explore it for the first time and actually um, actually experiencing that kind of like maze, confusion, disorienting feeling of getting to go through it. And then it, the reward being the really cool views that you get of the brand new pirate ship um, that was unfortunately closed when we went. But uh, the, the cool like new pirate ship and then there's like an abandoned pirate ship really really interesting it, it felt like um a different version of tom Sawyer island in mm -hmm. a way in that area because it's all discovery you you can spend an hour just exploring and discovering and hey should i go right now and see where, where that takes me go left and where's that going to take me um visually it's very cool it feels spread out over the even though it's very compact uh i i love the design of the entire space of this land and all the variety between the attractions that are there to the food options, which are interesting as well. Well, and, and, you know, adventure land, which like you said, you know, it sits on an Island. If you look down at sort of the map, it sits on an Island that's connected by four bridges, but adventure land because of the walkthrough and because of these different experiences, adventure land is almost an attraction in and of itself and adventure isle um i think is is it's a treasure that's hiding in plain sight right you almost sort of there's no sort of entrance or exit to it you just sort of experience it you just it just sort of happens um and each one of the four bridges takes you to a different area i'm, I'm not they're all in french i can't try and read them but you go to this um you know, the, this sea of swashbucklers. And then there's the, um, the, 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 the like the, the Robinson's uh, treehouse. And then there's the, the shipwreck and the suspension bridge and Ben Gunn's cave and Skull Rock and, and the pirate ship. It, it, essentially, it's Captain Hook's pirate ship. Um, and don't worry, Marion, it's been closed every time I've gone <laughs> also. I don't know if it's actually open anymore, but yeah, it is a just a, Full size. I don't know if it's full size, but it is a very large pirate's galleon that is based off of the Chicken in the Sea. Sadly, that was destroyed when they closed Fantasyland back in '82. 
But this is, you know, again, Tony going, hey, I destroyed one pirate ship. I'm going to build a bigger version for people to explore. And it, you know, I've never gotten a chance to play on that, but it is that Peter Pan, Captain Hook type ship. Again, chicken to the sea. You know, it, everything there, you could tell that the Imagineer, Tony Baxter, who helped, who created this park, had the love of everything that is Disney. He grew up in the park, so he knew what people would enjoy and went with it tenfold. Sadly, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the downfall on another podcast of it, but yeah. Well, and this, again, sort of, this is helping to connect the dots between something else that was very high on my list, right? We just talked about Adventure Island. We, we talked about the, the Lair of the Dragon. I love, and I think some of my favorite parts of, of Disneyland Paris are the walkthrough attractions. Uh, each of the lands has at least one walkthrough, right? You have the, the Dragon's Lair, you have Adventure Isle, um, the in in um, in Frontierland. You have Fort Comstock, this sort of legends of of the Wild West. Um, talking about some of these far west legends from the Gold Rush to Buffalo Bill, uh, allowing people to sort of wander through and sort of create their own adventure. Um, I read that at one point, kids used to have their own. Special spa- special path that they could go through the Native American encampment outside of Fort Comstock, taking a look at some of the teepees, which I now I think you can see across um, the water in Adventureland. Alice's Curious Labyrinth, which I had as a separate entry, but we'll, we'll, we can talk about here. Um, we mentioned Adventure Island, Aladdin in, in Adventureland. Aladdin's Enchanted Pal- uh, Passage was this walkthrough of scenes and vignettes from the film with beautiful, um, very colorful dioramas and the music in the background. And unfortunately it's been closed every time I've been the mysteries of the Nautilus uh, inspired by 20,000 leagues under the, I know, I know I can't wait to go back um, to be able to go through and see the different chambers and, and the navigation room and the organ. But I love this idea guys of, of, Doing these walkthrough attractions, Becky, you sort of mentioned some of the ones that we've done in the past at places like Hong Kong. They really lean into it heavily in Disneyland Paris with, you know, five or six different ones. And I, and I like this idea of not just having a passive experience, but the sense of discovery, the sense of not knowing what's around the next corner and being able to sort of make a decision that will affect how your experience goes i i love the aladdin walkthrough that had been closed the other times i'd gone and this was the chance that i got to go through and explore sadly in my head i didn't i was always in my work mode so i went through and videoed everything and then i got out and went i didn't enjoy that as much as i should have but it's almost like they took the windows of main street that they used to do when the new films came out and just expanded it so you get the full story of aladdin uh the nautilus walkthrough is that was my number one thing i i love phantom manor everything else but Twenty Thousand leagues is probably one of my biggest gateways into disney and that walkthrough i spent so many times going through it just 
running out, running back in like it was an e-ticket attraction. And I know that they are in the process of updating the technology, putting in new effects. So when we all end up going next year, it should be open. Good, because I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's one. That's that's my dragon for Marion. Every time I've been there, it's always been closed and not uh, able to walk through. Um, I have noticed that if you go in the fall, a lot of the times you run into that that case scenario. But it's always been intriguing to look at from the outside, wondering just what it contains. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. My personal favorite walkthrough, because obviously the dragon was closed, um, was the Alice in Wonderland one. Um, I am a huge Alice in Wonderland fan. I I absolutely love that story and I love the the animation and the characters. And um, the first day, again, it was closed but then the next day was july so it was open <laughs> and it was a lot of, it was so much bigger than i expected and i like fantasy land is always my ha, has always been my favorite uh land and i loved how whimsical that was and how you sort of were able to walk through the movie like you were a part of it um obviously disney's immersiveness and their attention to detail is so special and through the walkthrough it's you're able to appreciate those little details more rather than being on a, on a vehicle that your mind can't keep up with. I guess that it's, I love the self-paced aspect of it and it seems much more relaxed and much more like choose your own adventure. Obviously it's a maze as well. So it had like adventure Isle, it had that very discovery, uh, aspect to it which was very cool and you get a very unique view mm -hmm. of the park from the top of the uh, parent Disneyland Paris is full I guess of unique views um because there's a there's a, a, a isn't it the the queen of hearts castle or the king of mm -hmm. hearts castle there that you can go to the top of super cool you can see uh sleeping beauty's castle from a different ang angle and perspective which I really loved well and what well, I'm, I'm guessing then Sorry, I'm guessing, as you said, Marion, that you could walk there on your own pace. Um, I'm guessing it wasn't a busy day because on the days that I've gone, it, it I love the Curious Labyrinth. It is by far the the most unique thing about all of Disneyland Paris, even though they have some of the most amazing attractions, because you do get a stroll and look at the gardens. But every time I've gone, it has been the caucus race with kids pushing me through the entire thing. Um, but yeah, it, it is, I really hope, and this is something that Disney is going through and reinvesting and reimagining and updating everything. Uh, in the couple of times that I visited, I've seen the beauty of that with the pop-up animatron or pop-up figures to now where, I would stand there and look at something and I'd be like, I could see the top of the queen of hearts head, but she wasn't doing anything. <laughs> and then you would turn the corner and all of a sudden she just pop up randomly, which it's supposed to do, but things weren't working the best. But yeah, the, the view from up there, the, the pure joy, especially if you love the Disney Alice story, you get everything out of it that you could hope. That is one of those places that I just adore walking through. It's a, a total attraction in itself. And unlike having to stand in line and queue to get on an attraction, the entire thing from the moment you walk in is just fun. 
it's it's playful it's joyful it's uh, again getting lost in something familiar um absolutely one of those things that I know a lot of people, especially those who are thrill seekers would just kind of walk past it and go, ah, you know, don't, don't even bother with that or take the time. I'm telling you take the time because it is that fun. It inspires joy. And there's a lot of giggles in there. It really <laughs> is. It's kind of, I think it's important to mention also, there's an Alice in Wonderland kind of section nestled in Fantasyland. Obviously, the walkthrough takes up a good amount of real estate, but the Cheshire Cat, I wouldn't call it a topiary. I don't know what I would call it. It's like a it's like a flat topiary. What's that called? <laughs> a floral, like a floral design, flowers. right? A floral design. Floral of- design flat topiary. I like that better. Um, it takes up, obviously, a lot of real estate, but there's also the isn't it called the mad hair, the little ice cream place Mm -hmm. with like the themed sitting area. And it kind of spits you out near uh, the teacup. So if you're an Alice in Wonderland fan like me, you kind of are in like a little tiny Alice in Wonderland, um, (laughs) which I, I really loved. And the music also is just so jovial and happy. So yeah, it doesn't spit you out into a gift shop. It spits you out to the March hair refreshments, which which we went to Mary and had, and had some of those (laughs) snacks. We created a DIY affogato. You guys (laughs) should try it. You get the ice cream and you get a shot and then you do it. You get your sweet and your caffeine at once. Secret menu. Yeah. To be clear, this is when we were sort of, we were hitting a wall of exhaustion. We're like, all right, we need to sort of, we need sugar and we need caffeine. And they sold espresso shots where you can get again the 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 snack carts are, and uh, places are, are different in terms of what they serve. So, Mary made her own affogato. But yeah, I, I loved these lush green hedges and how you know you you realize that there's a story being told here, right? It's it, it's basically came it's it's built in sort of two sections, right? The first part is Alice's adventures prior to meeting the Queen of Hearts, and then the second part is based on her encounter with the queen who obviously had a labyrinth similar to this in the film. But you realize that there's like 10 different scenes and like 20 characters and statues and like, you know, I think there's like a dozen fountains and, and eight dead ends. So it's, it's not as simple as it might seem like you, you know, the, and you have a goal. Your goal is to reach the queen of hearts castle where you get this, view of of um fantasyland and like you said marion the the route itself is is similar in shape to the body of the the cheshire cat the music is in there those familiar scenes like the blue caterpillars mushroom lair and the caucus race and what i found out which i didn't realize there actually used to be a slide at the tower so you can climb up this tower there used to be a slide for kids on the way down that that um, was eventually shut down. But I, one of you said this, and I think you're right. I think this is an attraction that many people might think is for kids. It's not for them. And it, it's very easily overlooked and shouldn't be. That concludes part one of our virtual visit to and the reasons why you should go for your first or next time to Disneyland Paris. There is a lot to cover. There's a lot to love there. And in fact, I want to help you do just that. I actually want to help you get to Disneyland Paris because in case you can't tell, I was and am so excited about it and truly in love 
with Disneyland Paris. And more importantly, I really want you to be able to visit, experience, and understand why I, we, adore it so much. And in addition to sharing the reasons why we love it this and next week, and on social, be sure to check my Instagram stories and posts for more pictures and videos, I really want to help you get there. And it's not just with the why and the how and, and the reasons why to go. I mean, really help you get there. And so do the folks at Disneyland Paris. And thanks to them, that's exactly what we're going to do. Because I, with the help of Disneyland Paris, we're giving you a chance to win a truly magical family vacation in Disneyland Paris, this spectacular and special resort that is deeply rooted in French culture with exclusive experiences that can only be found there. And one lucky winner is gonna live out an unforgettable stay for a family of four, including a four-day, three-night stay in the four-star Disney's Hotel in New York, The Art of Marvel. It's where I stayed, I love it. Four tickets for four days, valid in the two Disney parks, food vouchers for breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, and some more epic surprises. There's full details, terms, and conditions. If you go to www.radio.com slash DLP contest, you can read more about that there. Now, how do you enter? It's easy, really. There's no complicated trivia questions, nothing to buy. All you need to do to enter is visit my Instagram, instagram.com slash lumangelo. There you're going to find a photo post about the contest. The instructions are laid out in the description, but all you really need to do to enter is like the photo, subscribe to the podcast, which hopefully you already are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, join the community, that's the clubhouse over on Facebook, subscribe to the free WW Radio newsletter, I'll give you a link to that there as well, follow me and Disneyland Paris on Instagram, and then just answer in the comments what part of or attraction in Disneyland Paris would you love to experience most during the Disneyland Paris 30th anniversary, and then just tag somebody that you'd love to take with you to Disneyland Paris in the comments. You can enter more than once, but you have to tag a different friend or family member in each comment, no celebrities or fake accounts. So the more you enter, the better your chances of winning this incredible trip are. The contest is going to run until Sunday, June 25th at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern. I'll then draw the winner and then announce it on the podcast and on my Instagram. I am so excited for you and huge, huge thanks again to Disneyland Paris for providing such an incredible gift. And don't forget that whether you win or not, you should still go and visit Disneyland Paris. And if you want to get a free, no obligation quote and some guidance from our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel, you can visit mousefantravel.com. But again, check out my Instagram at Lou Mangello for a chance to win this incredible vacation prize package. So good luck, or should I say, bonne chance. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details in which you see, hear, or remember. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. Seriously, 
Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life, every live broadcast, the contests and giveaways. They're all thanks to you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, participate in our group video calls, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, and much more. I appreciate you and the friendship and the love and the support you give me. And I love being able to give back to you each month. And don't forget that a portion of your obviously optional contribution goes to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you, we've raised more than $550,000 for Make-A-Wish and you have really made magic and changed the lives of so many people in a meaningful, positive, and profound way. I'd love to thank some new and longtime members of our nation family, including Andrew Prince, Brian Kirshner, Christine Thomas, Angela Batista, and Faye Edmonton. If you want to find out how you can help the show and be part of the nation family, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to tell me, in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, what is the name of the dog? I was clear, what is the current name of the dog? Because it has changed many times over the years. First things first, thanks to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that the answer is Rover. Now, the dog's name has changed many times. It's been Buster, Sport, Queenie, and currently Rover. And actually, at one time in Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World, because remember, this was moved from Disneyland, the dog's name was different in every scene, but now it's Rover consistently throughout the entire show. Anyway, last week... You were playing for a prize package that includes a WW Radio mug, one of those fancy new pins, and a mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Dominic Altobello. So, Dominic, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, we're talking about Disneyland Paris. We're going to go to Disneyland Paris, because when... Disneyland Paris opened its doors for the very first time at 9.01 a.m. on April 12th, 1992, five years after signing the original agreement. It wasn't actually known as Disneyland Paris. So your question this week is to tell me what was the original name of Disneyland Paris? You have until Sunday, June 18th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and this week, you're going to play for a WW Radio mug, a pin, and a mystery prize from Disneyland Paris. So good luck and have fun. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I hope you enjoyed the first part of our look at all the reasons to go to Disneyland Paris and, of course, our special Disneyland Paris vacation giveaway. I'd love to know from you, have you ever been to Disneyland Paris? Or should I say, have you been yet? If you have, what's your favorite aspect of the park? 
I'll post this question over in the WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook. You can answer there in the comments, or better yet, call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Tell me your favorite part of Disneyland Paris, or if Disneyland Paris is on your radar, I'll play it on the air. You can also connect with me on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And you can email me, lou at www.radio.com if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show. Be sure and check out our events page at www.radio.com slash events. Stay tuned for details about our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World, as well as other events on land, at sea, and a few special things we're working on. Stay tuned. Also, please check out the all-new loumangelo.com. In addition to everything I do in the Disney space, I'm also a keynote speaker, coach, and I host a number of events for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs who are looking to build their business and brand through one-on-one coaching. I have weekly mastermind groups and events, including my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World this fall. We are back for our seventh year and what I think is shaping up to be our best event ever. It is limited to just 50 entrepreneurs with a 10-person Mastermind Monday, and you learn practical and tactical lessons and strategies in interactive workshops. You do the work in the room. You also find out how to apply these to your business and your life. It is built on inspiration, education, impact, and community. You can learn more and secure your seat at loumangelo.com slash momentum. While you're on the site, you can also find out how I can come to maybe speak to your conference, your event, your business, or school. I specialize in helping organizations leverage customer service lessons and strategies from Disney, and I bring some unique and impactful Disney magic to events and companies and schools through in-person and online presentations as well. And don't forget, when you're going to visit Disneyland Paris or any of the Disney parks around the world, visit our friends over at mousefantravel.com for all your vacation planning needs that all come at no cost to you, but with an exceptional level of personal service. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, and I hope that you do, to please help spread the word. Tell a friend, post a link to this or your favorite episode on social. Better yet, screenshot that you're listening to this episode on your phone, share it on social, tag me at Lou Mangiello, and I will reshare it and follow you back. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple Podcast or Spotify. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Joseph Ivan Victor, who says he's the number one fan of the world. Hey, Lou Mangiello, I'm just a fan and for a long time started on the old audio guide to Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom audio tours, and it led me here. And I have one episode topic request. Can you talk about the lost history of Roger Rabbit and the future of the film and how it didn't end up coming to Disney's Hollywood Studios? Joseph Ivan, I've got good news for you because if you go to www.radio.com slash Roger Rabbit, you can go and listen to show number six where I ta- where I did a DSI of Roger Rabbit. Show number 327 where we talked specifically about Roger Rabbit in Walt Disney World, what is, what was, and what might have been. And show 361, we talk about 25 things we love, miss, or remember about the Disney MGM Studios. And there's a lot of talk about Roger Rabbit what was there, what almost was there, and what could have been there as well. Again, go to www.radio.com slash Roger Rabbit. And again, if you leave your review on Apple Podcasts, I will read it here on the show. Finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. Always remember to choose the good, to find the good in people and opportunities. And remember that with every action, you 
have the power to create this ripple effect of positivity. Be the positive light, be the positive change that you want to see in this world. Set an example for others. Choose the good and have an amazing week. I love you. I appreciate you. So until next time and or this Wednesday's live show on Facebook every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, www.radiolive.com. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Larson out in Flower Town, Pennsylvania, just a little bit north of Orlando. <laughs> Um, I'm calling in because I'm finally just finishing the um, top 10 pizzas in Disney World. And there is one that I enjoyed as a gluten-free eater uh, that you guys didn't talk about. I don't think he talked about this location at all, but they seem to have a couple different flatbreads. But when I did order it, it came out like it was a full pizza. It was not a flatbread. So I don't know if they were just substituting but um, they at Mama Melrose in Hollywood Studios, the Carne d'Italia flatbread, um, you can get it gluten-free. And um, it's got pepperoni, sausage, pancetta, four cheese blend, and a spicy marinara sauce. I really enjoyed it. And I actually took my leftovers around in the park with me and then um, kind of finished it off cold. You know, cold pizza is just as good um, when I was getting hungry later. So, and it's on the appetizer menu, uh, the allergy-friendly appetizer menu. Again, you could do it as a meal. It was huge. Um, but it was yummy. And then they also have a margarita flatbread, um, which I didn't have, but you can also get that gluten-free as well. So, yeah, there you go. Mama Melrose at the studios. Everybody make someone smile. Have a wonderful day. And I'm hoping to make it to WDW Radio Live this Wednesday night. I have just been overwhelmingly busy, and I keep missing it. So um, I miss seeing all of you guys. And um, I'll try and tune in. Have a great week. Make someone smile. Bye. Hi, everybody. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. It's been a while. Oh, my gosh. Life has been absolutely crazy, to say the least. But the school year for me is coming to an end. The site is near of summer, which is amazing. I have a lot of trips planned. One heading down to Walt Disney World at the end of August with my whole family, which is exciting. Um, so it's going to be a busy summer filled with weddings and travel, but I'm so excited. Um, just finished listening and catching myself up with a few episodes. Um, I would do a lot right now to go to Nomad Town and um, relax and look at the water and just sit there after a long day in Animal Kingdom after hearing your review. And it's always fun to hear an armchair or Imagineer armchair whatever episode, um, and I love the hotel one. So tons of fun. Uh, thanks for doing well out there. Um, hope everyone that it is in Canada right now is staying safe with all these crazy fires. Um, and yeah, just be good, do good, make magic, and talk to you all soon. Bye, guys. Hey, Lou, it's Patrice Roberti from Metro Boston. I hope that you got a nice laugh from that bit about the phonations, because God knows I have. You are an extremely positive person, and you always do look for the good and choose the good, and that you got in that Donnie book uh, with Tim Foster about the phonations. It's just, just, it's just so perfect and so against character. So I hope that gave you a laugh, and uh, as I always say, I'm honored 
that you would use one of those something for me on your show. Very honored indeed. So thank you, and uh, we look forward, my husband and I look forward to the day we meet you, hopefully in Florida, maybe at a meet next uh, winter. We have some friends who are going to be down there, so we will look forward to meeting you. And needless to say, if you're ever in Metro Boston and we can do you any kind of kindness or a favor, please let us know because uh, please let me know. Uh, we would be happy to. We've really enjoyed your show so much. It's been uh, it's just, you know, it's, I'm sure people tell you all the time, it's a, a real day brightener and, uh, and, and always appreciate it. You're funny, informative, interesting, nice, enthusiastic. Can't beat it. Take care. Thanks. Bye.